Welcome to the HCI Family of Podcasts, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We share our own original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. Join us for practitioner-oriented content around all things leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with the HCI family of podcasts. Welcome to the podcast. In this podcast episode, I talk with Ricardo Amper about how low interpersonal trust costs institutions, resulting in loss of productivity and stifled innovation. Ricardo Amper, welcome to the conversation today. Thank you for having me, John. It is a pleasure to be with you. You're joining us from the Bay Area. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about how low interpersonal trust can cost institutions, resulting in loss of productivity, stifling innovation, and other negative outcomes, and really what we can do about fostering greater levels of interpersonal and institutional trust. As we get started, I wanted to share Ricardo's bio with everybody. Ricardo Amper is the founder and CEO of Encode, and he wants to throw your plastic ID cards in the trash. A self-taught programmer, serial entrepreneur, and three-time founder, he's staked his reputation on a vision of the future where privacy is paramount, security is built in, and physical IDs are a thing of the past. Ricardo, again, great to have you. Anything you would like to share with the audience by way of your background or personal context before we dive on in? Uh, thank you so much. I think you it was very clear on the, on the presentation, and yes, Encode is a company, uh, that the last company that I founded and, uh, you know, a venture-backed company. We raised a lot of money, $250 million from uh, investors in our series A and B. And, uh, you know, I'm, I love the topic that we're going to talk about because our mission is to power a world of trust. And so mm -hmm. what we do is we build identity products that enable trust in society. And so I'm very excited to talking about you. You know, from an organizational leadership perspective, it's all about trust. It's all about interpersonal trust, organizational and institutional trust, and the mechanisms that we build uh, and, and structure around us to facilitate that trust. And so ENCODE and what you do there with, with privacy and security around IDs, that's just one component of how we can go about creating you know, the infrastructure to support trust, trusting relationship, trusting institutions. And all of that is super important if we want resilient organizations that are agile and adaptive, that can pivot, and where we can have the types of productivity and innovation that are needed in the modern world of work. Without trust, that all falls apart, and, and we really will struggle uh, as organizations to even stay relevant in the marketplace. Um, so with all that kind of as a, as a foundation for the conversation, uh, maybe you can dive in and just tell us a little bit more about ENCODE. Tell us about how your um, products and services are specifically geared towards, uh, you know, creating, you know, higher, a heightened sense of trust. Yeah. So we are um, an identity company. So what we do is we create software uh, to verify people's real world identity, as well as we create digital identities to make 
the process of verifying who you are, whether it's physical or digital, in, in, in a very easy and safe way. And so the impact that we have is on creating trust in, in every industry. We have mm-hmm. uh, big customers in banking, uh, government, healthcare, you know, rental car, hospitality. And if you understand all these challenges, trust is the key. So the only reason you're willing to go into someone else's car is because you trust that brand. And, and there's a whole set of, of incentives for people to behave. Same thing you would think about renting your home, um, you know, voting, going into, into a hospital. And what is very interesting is there is a credit bureau, there is an insurance bureau, uh, there's education bureau. So there's ways to figure out what is the behavior of people, if people can be trustworthy, but there is not a, a identity bureau. So mm-hmm. an identity is the base. When you're paying, essentially what you're doing is you're verifying who you are and what's your account. And um, and, and and it's very interesting that the, the technology to do identity, particularly in the U.S., is obsolete. Usually you have a piece of paper plastic. You know, paper uh, IDs were invented by Egyptians, 3,000 years old. We still use the same technology. And most of the times that people want to verify who, who people are, they, they ask them to go uh, to a physical place and, and verify that ID. So what we're doing is we're completely revolutionizing the identity world. Uh, in multiple ways that I'm happy to talk about, but with one mission, which is how do these uh, heightened uh, security and privacy systems help you uh, go through your life in an easier way, protect your privacy, and make sure that uh, there's trust created in everything that we do. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Maybe before we dig in more uh, to some of those details, let's zoom out a little bit and talk about how the lack of trust or, or, or declining interpersonal trust, you know, what, what does that cost institutions? How does that impact productivity and innovation uh, from your experience? Yes. So um, I'll give you several examples on and financial services. When, when, when people steal other people's identity, it's not about the money that they steal. They steal access because of, uh, of, of the systems and the procedures um, <clears throat> that these financial companies put, what they end up doing is just, you know, increasing interest rates, making those credit uh, products less available. And the people who have the least uh, are the ones that, that suffer. You reduce their access. Um, mm-hmm. Or for example, when, 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 when you cannot trust getting into a car sharing service because uh, you might be, you might make, you be, you might be hijacked. Um, you know, that actually creates uh, a lot of friction to use those services. Mm-hmm. Or if, mm-hmm. as you've seen in the country, if uh, you're voting with a ballot, which is still a piece of paper, verify with the simplest biometric, which is easy to go around, which is signature, um, you, you got, you know, uh, several political act- actors attacking the system. And why wouldn't they? It's a very antiquated system. So, uh, or for example, as it happened um, to us, uh, to the company, actually a few months ago, uh, someone uh, using my name contacted our finance department, asking them to do wire transfers. As asked them, so so they they 
they hijacked my phone number, sent an SMS. They went into a Zoom call, uh, a Gen AI uh, me, wow. an artificial me, told uh, one of our finance directors to send some wire transfers. Um, and it was very realistic. Uh, so wow. when, when at the end, they had to go and contact me physically uh, to verify. So these are four examples. And you can imagine that all these create cost friction and particularly reduce access, which at the same, which, you know, it makes society less fair and, and, and there's less progress. That's that's really interesting. The cybersecurity component to all of this and the deep fake component, um, you know, spoofing of emails and spoofing of text messages, you know, and ident- people's identities um, in the way you just described. I, I, I've seen, you know, examples of that. Um, what you just shared was the first direct um, uh, sharing of an example where that the deep fake technology using AI to actually have a Zoom call with your video, you know, where it looks like it's you. So they're trying to verify and it looks like it's you. You know, that's the first time I've heard that directly from somebody. And that's crazy. So that's the wild west of the world we're in, right, of of um, these scammers and, and the types of things people are doing. It just speaks to all the more the, the greater necessity for cybersecurity measures, for um, uh, privacy measures, for security uh, that's built in, especially around identity. Absolutely. And, and if we can't trust who we're communicating with, um, then the system breaks down. Like we can't have transactions. We can't do business. We can't, uh, you know, we're not going to be purchasing things online if we can't trust that our our data is, is kept secure and all of those, all of those sorts of things. So it's absolutely essential, as you mentioned. And that leads to other negative outcomes. There's societal outcomes, of course, where distrust is prevalent, um, but certainly business-related negative outcomes. And the productivity piece, the wasted time and energy that people spend on chasing down those sorts of things, as you were describing, uh, you know, that plays a role. The, the innovation piece, uh, when people don't feel like they can trust, uh, people tend to go into kind of self-protection mode. Uh, and when you're in self-protection mode, you're not in innovation mode. You're not trying to stretch, you know, the boundaries of your creativity and trying to come up with new possibilities. You're trying to just survive and you're trying to, um, you know, just maintain some level of of security and stability. So uh, all of that, I think, just comes back to what you were describing, those examples you provided very, very well. Uh, anything else you wanted to add to that before we move on? Yeah, like, uh, so I predict that in the next uh, three to five years, we're going to see a lot, a level of fraud income in terms of identity. And then, you know, every other, every activity that is based on identity in a level that we've never seen. It's going to be almost impossible to see if, if you're actually talking to me or my agent. Um, And, and so there's, there's three things that I'd like to talk about during this interview mm. that are, are, are the solution to this problem. Yes, wonderful. Let's dive on in. So the, the, there, there's three things. First thing is, as you as it's going to be almost impossible to trust a text message or to trust that, you know, verifying someone with a social security or knowing what was your last address, which which is all of that is, is um, easily spoofable, just a statistic, you know, um, about 60 million Americans can verify through social security or 
or are answering questions, but 93% of rosters can. So, uh, so it's a crazy statistic. So there's three things that are going to happen. First of all, is we have to realize that the government plays a role in identity. They're the ones that give you your birth certificate. There's the yeah. one that give you your driver license. And so, for example, what Incode is doing, we're, we're creating um, identity network. We're in partnership with uh, state and, and federal government. We're going to be able to leverage that data to verify who you are, not based on, uh, on credit bureaus that have been hacked or questions that a lot of people can't answer, but based on your, your, uh, your ID and, and your face in ways where uh, we are privacy first. So we're going to be able to leverage all the data with people's consent uh, to create a system of identity that's, uh, that almost eliminates identity for That's number one. Number two, there has to be a reusable identity. Um, the U.S., because of, of, of the great uh, you know, federation that we are, Right, and, and the self-determination by the states, you know, there's not going to be a, a federal mandated ID, but what is going to happen is the, the private sector is now, like INCO, we're, we're creating um, the equivalent of the MasterCard or Visa for IDs, where if you're going to open a bank account, it's just going to be one time where you're going to go through several hoops to verify your identity, and then after that, it's just going to be a phone number and your and your phone or phone or or or, or your face, um, and so it's going to be a much secure, much more secure way. You're not going to have to disseminate your information all around like now you disseminate SSN, uh, you know every every all around. Every, you know, in average, uh, you know, for someone who's been 20 years in the system, um, there's about 300 different uh, yeah. sites that know your social security number, which is really scary. And the third thing is that we have to come together. So right now, financial rules don't allow banks to share uh, identity fraud criminals. So what's going to happen is all those people who are doing identity fraud, which is a very small percentage, but as you said, make the system very expensive, there's technologies that we can share the data while keeping the information safe and private. So the three things, it's partnership with governments, a reusable identity like uh, the Incode ID network that we're building, and how do you leverage technologies like AI and, and, and something called vector databases where data is shared in ways that are extremely secure and, uh, and basically create the incentive that if you are a criminal and you're trying to take someone else's identity or create a, a, a synthetic one, an artificial one, you know, you're going to think twice because that was going to limit uh, your participation in the economic system. Yeah, interesting. And you mentioned uh, the, the vector databases. I don't know a lot about this technology. I'm also just wondering how this connects to or if it's completely different from blockchain uh, and how that's being utilized in what you're doing? Yes. Uh, so, so you're going to hear vector uh, a lot more. Vector is mm. a way to convert data into something that is useful as, as for example, hey, this, this, this is a blacklist of people who are doing identity crime. But in ways that even if that information is hacked, you can know who that person is. Mm. Um, and so I think it's the, 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 the holy grail um, to be able to vectorize all that information, be able to query against it and say, hey, 
uh, is John a criminal? No, John is not a criminal. Um, and it creates all the right incentives. And then, of course, you can always use blockchain as a way to audit things. So, for example, mm-hmm. uh, elections. Um, I predict that in 15 years, 15 to 20 years, all around the world, the only way that people are going to be doing voting is going to be digital. You're going to be able to verify your identity with these technologies and these partnerships with governments and and companies. You're going to be able to vote. It's going to be stored in, in in, in a blockchain. And the way the information is, is stored is through vectors. So, so you eliminate kind of the security risk. You can always audit. And, and what's going to happen is, because it's already happening in the U.S., you know, people are voting remotely, but is this the right technology to make mm-hmm. sure that, mm-hmm. that, that people can't go and, and attack necessarily the, uh, uh, the process as, as much as it has been in the past? Yeah, wonderful. So what you're providing is really going to be helping with this, the privacy and the con- the the security components are are there other gaps that you're seeing maybe spaces you're planning on moving into or maybe it's just outside your business model so you're not going to be doing it but you see as being really critical uh in the general space around uh privacy data security and what that does for for trust interpersonal and institutional trust it's a great example is what indians did Uh, so 15 years ago India was one of the lowest trusting society. Only 7% of Indians trusted each other to mm. transact. Um, and that compares, for example, the U.S., which is 38 Americans trust each other to transact. So what, what, what they did is they, they, they never, Moody's government uh, said, we're not going to do a physical ID. They partnered with other tech companies. And what they did is they created this, this, this identity system called Adhar. Where, where they create a digital identity system that people use um, you know, biometrics and phones to verify their identity. So essentially what I was describing um, and what happened is in 15 years, interpersonal trust went from 7% to 56%. Hmm. And India right now is one of the highest trusting societies in the world, uh, much, much higher than the US. And it's it, it just competing with the Nordic countries like, like mm-hmm. Norway and Sweden. So, and you know what happened is uh, this year, which has been a tough year economically for most countries, they grew 9%. Mm. And because for 1% interpersonal trust increase, there's 0.83% GDP growth. So trust, identity creates trust, and trust yeah. creates, uh, you know, progress and, and wealth. Yeah. Oh, great example. That is incredible uh, to see that kind of an increase in just a 15 year period. It gives me some hope, you know, when I, when I look at, you know, what I personally see as kind of a a degrading of society here in the U S you know, polarization, lack of trust, um, especially younger generations, young millennials, Gen Z, the level of trust in institutions seems to be, I don't know if it's at an all time low, but it feels like it is. And it seems like it's pretty darn low. Um, this gives me some hope that maybe that's something that can help us turn things around. And, you know, the interpersonal component is important. We need to learn how to talk to to each other again when we don't agree (laughs) that it seems like that's a skill that's flown out the window in, in recent years and decades. Um, so we need to do work in those spaces, but what you're describing, you know, it's, it's a, it's a mechanism that 
helps to facilitate the development and growth of trust. So even a low trusting society like India in just a 15 year period can increase so dramatically, you know, maybe just maybe there's some hope for us here in the U S like we can learn to trust each other again. We can learn to, um, you know, rely on each other again. And we already have a wonderful economy, but just imagine how much that could be bolstered, um, by an increased level of trust, uh, within individual organizations, but within our broader institutions, uh, and the economy as a whole. Exactly. And I mean, there is a, there is a statistic. So the amount of trust in government in the fifties, it was a near, near 60%. It was 58% mm. of Americans trusted their, their government right now is, is low, is lower than 20%. I believe it's around 18%. It's a pretty low number. And that's why you see all this polarization. And, but, but, but I think there's hope. Um, I, we, we, we're, we, we haven't announced, but we, we are playing roles. We have played roles in, uh, in elections in the U.S., and what we've seen is both Republicans and Democrats agree that the current way of, of proving someone's identity, which is critical uh, for voting, for example, but it's critical for all, every industry out there, is outdated. And, and, and I think everybody recognizes that, uh, you know, remote voting is a thing, uh, that it makes the, the, the process more inclusive, and that it has to be strengthened. So there's a lot of hope. And so I think as much as I think that in the next five years, we're going to see a lot of fraud and distrust, what that is going to create is it's going to bring everybody together and, and adopt these new technologies. It's also, you know, share this vector information so that it creates the right incentive. A good example. Uh, so we, we're a global company and one of the countries that we operate is in Mexico. And Mexico, as in many stadiums around the world, there's violence, right? Whether it's political motivated or just, you know, the passion of, of 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 sports um you know there was a lot of, of violence about two years ago and mm-hmm. so what we did is we we launched our identity system there uh so you, you you create an inquiry id and with that you create a fan id which is a way of identifying yourself and saying hey i'm a real person um and and the only the only thing that you do is like if you misbehave so you you, you need to create this fan id um but if you misbehave then you're kicked out out of the whole uh, mm-hmm. soccer, for example, all of the stadiums. So, so the teams came together. They said we have to create uh, an incentive for people to, on one side, feel safe and bring their families. The other side created a, a, a negative incentive so that if people misbehave, you know, they're they're essentially kicked out of the sports, which is dramatic. Yeah. And I'll yeah. tell you what happened. Um, in, in less than three months, attendance increased 11%. And after a year, attendance was up near to 30%. And there, uh, and violence has been reducing 99%. Mm-hmm. So that is one example when, when, when you do exactly the same playbook, you verify someone's identity, you have something that you can reuse and it's accepted in multiple places. And then if someone be, misbehaves, there's incentives to 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 um, disencourage that behavior, and it's working beautifully. And so I think that that is a good example of what can be built, not just in sports in the U.S. because you know it's it's also needed as we can see in some of the uh, lately in some of the games, uh, but but that that can be done as a society. 
I love it. Ricardo, thank you so much. This has just been a great conversation. I note the time. I need to let you go here in just a minute. But before we wrap things up, I wanted to give you a chance to share with the audience how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, your team, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. Absolutely. Thank you. So uh, please email me at amper at inco.com or uh, at Ricky Amper at X slash Twitter. Um, you know, happy to to talk to you guys. And and just just this final note, I think that the U.S. is on the verge of an identity revolution that is going to make uh, that is going to bring a lot of after a lot of fraud is going to bring a lot of progress, um, and it's also going to make uh, the society a lot fairer. And you know, we're very motivated by our mission and uh, and happy to discuss debate. You know, it's really important that we we, we hear all points of views. Wonderful. Ricardo, again, thank you. I encourage the audience to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Ricardo and his team at Inco can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the podcast. We hope you stay healthy and safe, and please join us again soon.